Welcome to In Our Own Defense Podcast. We're your host, Attorney A.D. Winters, founder and managing attorney of VeteransDefender.com. And Dr. Dolores Tarver, licensed psychologist. For more information about our podcast, go to at In Our Own Defense on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, or email us at inourowndefense at gmail.com. Our mission at In Our Own Defense Podcast is to share truths and create dialogue that increases our listeners' awareness on a variety of concerns to foster and the development of the holistic plan, which incorporates mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional uh, and intellectual uh, and financial wellness. Dr. Tarver. The information provided during the In Our Own Defense podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice, nor is it a substitute for the knowledge, skill, and judgment of qualified mental health or medical health care professionals. Instead, all information, content, and materials shared are for general informational purposes only. And this episode of In Our Own Defense podcast, we have the luxury of featuring two dynamic, empowering, culturally incompetent licensed psychologists to discuss dodging dangerous uh, parenting dynamics. Uh, you know, as, as we, uh, how have you been, Dr. Jarber? First off, how have you been? I'm great, Attorney Winters. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, it's great to see you as always. Uh, and um, I'm really excited. I wish I had those headsets. Those are pretty dope. You've been using them lately. I've got to get me some. Hell, I can't even get my lighting right. But on this, this episode, it, it, it really means a lot to me. And I'm excited about unpacking this. I'm really excited about these guests uh, as you produce this show. This uh, episode, uh, I want to break down about three quick scenarios to you and, uh, and kind of set the scene why this is important. Um, as a kid, I grew up and I watched some amazing women work so tirelessly and effortlessly as single mothers. They were champion to me. And I see why there's this amazing aura that we hold our mothers in such high regard in our communities uh, because they do so much with so little and they do so much by themselves. We've already unpacked the, 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 uh, the construct where as to uh, what has taken our fathers out of the home. We've done shows that we've talked about that, but at the end of the day, oftentimes uh, I've watched mothers parent by themselves. That was extremely challenging. Uh, and it was extremely telling, but somehow we got over and, and, and these, these uh, kids came out amazing, uh, irrespective of that. Uh, another scenario is I watched um, when, when I was in college, when we graduated from college and I started law school, one of my buddies had his first child, um, you know, in that space. And he ended up getting a vasectomy because he didn't want another child because the relationship between him and his son's mother was so damning. Uh, he, I mean, he lost his home through the child support process. It was, you know, he tried everything in his power to try to keep the relationship to be uh, about peace. And it was just uh, a lot of drama. A another uh, scenario that I I'll leave you with is, is a good friend of mine. Um, he had he'd financially supported his child uh, and he just didn't want anything to do with the mother. So he just kind of shrunk away from his, his emotional responsibility to that child because the dynamics were so difficulty. Uh, it was so much difficulty in the communication process and the aggression and, uh, and it had back, back and forth in court. So he kind of just threw his hands up and says, I'd rather just send a paycheck and just be done with it to not have to go through that. Those are all horrible scenarios because I know when people agree that the child's best interest is more important than, than these two adults, than the relationship or previous relationship between those adults, if the, if the people understand that it takes two sets of DNA to create that child in whatever moment that that is, uh, we, it's important that we understand how we can avoid those or dodge those or overcome those dangerous parenting dynamics, whether it's co-parenting or single parenting uh, dynamics. Uh, so uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Tarver? Attorney Winters, you like to throw about 16 things in time and then have me comment. Um, you know, the, the reality is uh, we probably all have stories 
um, in our own families or with our friends. Um, and, and I see it in, in practice as well, where people's families have literally been torn apart by a divorce or a separation. Um, and the people who don't win are, are the kiddos. Um, they end up being the ones that struggle feeling like they're caught in the middle between two people or missing out on the love of having that other co-parent in their lives because of these dynamics that are, are set. And, and a lot of times just in, because relationships get to a point where they can be toxic or a partner can be um, engaging in some toxic behaviors. And so people don't know how to navigate that territory. And, and I think one of the things that we were thinking about when we created this show was we want to be able to talk to people about how to avoid getting into that place. How do we avoid having that father who ultimately decides it's easier for him to just be that paycheck because of the conflict between him and, and, and the mom or that person who decides to get a vasectomy because they have had such a toxic and, and, and unhealthy relationship with their co-parent. Um, or, or that uh, kid who wonders why they're not getting visited by their mom or their dad, not knowing the dynamics between the two parents. So I'm super excited that we have um, two very talented guests on the show today who are going to help us unpack some of these dynamics so that we don't continue to carry this legacy on in our families and our communities, that we can have healthy co-parenting relationships and be able to have well-adjusted children without all of this conflict. And so why don't we just get into it uh, and, and introduce our guests and invite them on so we can begin having these very meaningful conversations. All right, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Tarver. I'll, I'll take the first bite here and I'll introduce uh, Dr. Grange. Dr. Uh, Christina M. Grange, uh, she's a clinical psychologist and the owner of the Firm Center uh, of Life in Atlanta, Georgia. She's an associate professor of psychology at the Clayton State uh, university, undergrad, undergraduate and master's degrees from, from FAMU. Um, you know, welcome to the SWAC. And, um, and prior to receiving her PhD from uh, Virginia Commonwealth uh, University, her clinical uh, training uh, focused on the optimal development of young people in the context of those family systems. Uh, her recent research uh, evolved to the focus of how to best support unmarried parents working to successfully co-parent their children uh, or children which have been featured in the National Institute of uh, Diversity. If you wouldn't be, would be so kind to introduce Dr. Reese for us. Absolutely. It is my sincere pleasure to introduce Dr. Leroy Reese. I know y'all think it's Leroy, but it's actually Leroy. Uh, we had a conversation about that earlier. He actually has a doctorate from the Ohio State University. He would probably like for me to stop there and not say anything else about him. Um, but he is a, an associate professor at Morehouse School of Medicine, where he's the director of the Smart and Secure Children Parent Leadership Program. And he's also served as faculty with Kennedy Satcher Center for Mental Health Equity at Morehouse. He is the Director of Behavioral Health at Acoma Counseling and Consulting, Inc., an outpatient behavioral health care practice there in Atlanta. And he is Senior Advisor to i Strategies, a New York-based public affairs consultancy where he is helping to develop their healthcare practice. And he served as a Senior Scientist and Section Chief at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So let us welcome both of our guests, Dr. Reese and Dr. Grange. Welcome to the show. <laughs> All right, so um, I want to just go ahead and launch right into it. You guys heard our scene setter where we were just talking about some of the negative outcomes when we have conflict in parenting relationships and how that affects kids. But so let's just kind of talk about how divorce happens, right? So a, a lot of times divorce occurs and kids are trying to figure out, okay, how do I manage this? My parents are separating. Um, or uh, my parents were maybe living together and they're not going to be cohabitating anymore, or my parents were seeing each other and now they're not going to be seeing each other anymore. So can we talk about for the members of our community who are wondering before this separation happens, before this divorce happens, what are some ways that I can talk to my kids to help them more emotionally adjust to this separation? What are some strategies that you two would recommend when it comes to navigating that separation and that divorce. And I will start with you, uh, Dr. Grange. Thank you for the introduction and thank you for allowing me to be here. 
Um, it's complicated. I think that one of the things that I would encourage families to realize is that this is not easy for anyone. Uh, so it's important to recognize that you are not alone in this journey, though it may feel very distinct to you, obviously, based on any number of characteristics in your family. One thing that I think that as a community we've been really great at is creating stories. That's always been a strength. And so I think that an important question to think of as a parent is, what is ultimately the story that you want your child to have as we are creating their memories right now in this moment? In addition to the pain that you'll experience and that can't be denied, what is the story that we want them to walk away with? And I wonder if sometimes if we focus on that narrative that's based in truth, but also based in hope and based in an effort to amplify the assets of the family system that you still have, though it may look different, if that can inform how parents move forward with divorce. That is not an easy thing to do, so it's a bit aspirational, but we should aspire for the best things for our children. I think that's a key thing, understanding that transparency has its place. You do not need to be a rock. You do not need to hold it all together. You can show them emotion without demonizing the other parent and while still showing that we can be emotionally strong at the same time. Those are two things that I would recommend to start. I appreciate that, Dr. Grange. This, like, we are still having a family unit. It may just look a little different. Uh, and how we can navigate that successfully as co-parents is to talk about what this new unit is going to look like and also being honest and real with ourselves. Like we're, this is emotionally tough for us. We're going to be sad. We're going to be hurt. There's going to be some pain. We don't have to feel like we have to pretend, but at the same time, we want to be mindful of the narrative that we are presenting to the kids. Um, two great strategies. Dr. Reese. Um. So I also appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about this. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this on, on this end of the equation because too often, you know, I've, I've got a young person sitting on my couch or I'm in a courtroom talking uh, to a judge about how to support um, a child or, or children. So this is, this is the preferred space to be. Um, I, I think I want to begin my response with, with a couple of assumptions or, or caveats. One, kids don't pick their parents. Right. They don't say, I, I want you to be my mom. I want you to be my dad. Um, two, even when relationships in, in, ter the, in terms of the oneness between the adults, kids still love both of their parents very often. Um, and, 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 and so kids should, then be, should not be made uh, to pick. Three, even though there is often uh, a... Uh, distressing traumatic injury that has caused, that has occurred, that has caused the, the couple to separate uh, or to divorce, the one thing they typically can agree on is that they love their kids, right? And so with that as the backdrop, my strongest encouragement whenever possible is for the parents, not a parent and another parent to have separate isolative conversations with the, the kids about what is happening but for the parents to say, hey, we're in this hard situation, much like Dr. Green said, you know, this, this is upsetting, this is distressing. Um, mommy and daddy, um, depending on the constellation of the parents, we're, we're in a tough place where our relationship is about to change. But here are a couple of things that are not going to change. We both remain committed to you. We both love you and we are going to try as best we can, understanding that we're not perfect, to work in your interest so that what you know is that you can count on your parents to show up and be available for you. Again, I think the word you used, Dr. Grange, was aspirational, and certainly some of that is aspirational, but that is the thing that we should be working um, to get. Because a parent will always tell you, I want what's best for my kid. And very often, because um, I'm a kid-focused clinician, I'll tell a parent to act like it. Because acting like it sometimes means uh, that, 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 that we, we make secondary our stuff so we can prioritize the well-being and interest of our child. Um, and, and, and the normalization piece that y'all were talking about, this is going to be hard. This is not going to be easy. There are going to be days when I'm pissed off um, at your other parent. All that stuff is very real. But if we let the driving energy 
be the best interest of the child? Do we let the driving energy be, how do I position my child uh, for promise and not for problems? Then we're putting ourselves in a better position for the child. So, so I think, and very, it's, it's rare that the separation or divorce is a surprise to anybody, right? So let's agree to have a conversation. Um, that would be one of the things that I would suggest. And that if you can't have the conversation, get help having the conversation that you need to be having with each other um, as it relates to the well-being and interest of your kids. And I think you hit on something um, very important, uh, Dr. Reese. Both of you uh, laid out great foundation to set this show up. And that's uh, the best interest uh, of the child, irrespective of the, the, the adults in the room. But, you know, in Louisiana, we have Louisiana Civil Code Article uh, Annotated 134, Section 134. We have Section, hey, Section 134, 134. And that's uh, defined, each state defines it. Each legislative uh, body in each state defines it. And in Louisiana, it's the bond of the child with each parent, an amount of love and affection between them, the capability of each spouse or parent uh, to provide basic necessities such as food and clothing, uh, school supplies, healthcare, dental treatments, the morality of each parent, uh, each spouse, and how it may affect the welfare of, uh, of the children, uh, the mental and physical uh, health of both parents, the child's background, including his or her home and school, stability of these environments, the physical, emotional, mental, social, and religious needs uh, of the child, uh, the, the child's reasonable preference, depending on the child's age, uh, and that may uh, ebb and flow each parent's willingness to facilitate and encourage a close and continuing relationship between the child and the other parent, and how the child will adjust to the new house or, or community, new home and new community, and the distance between the residences of, uh, of each spouse. Those are just some uh, uh, illustrative list is not all encompassing. And each state has something very similar. Uh, uh, each state has something uh, similar to that. And that helps guide us. Like you said, you testified in court. You have a youth-focused um, um, uh, practice. Uh, and the same thing with you, Dr. Grange. Uh, you guys uh, are, are seeing this space for the bigger picture for what it is. And that's what, legally speaking, we consider uh, is going to be in the best interest of the child. And as I laid out, enumerated that list, Things have changed a lot, you know, uh, before uh, it was illegal for uh, same-sex couples to be married until the Supreme Court knocked that out. And so that was a point of contention. If the, if the, if the former parent um, transitioned into a different uh, relationship, i.e. same-sex relationship, LGBTQI uh, relationship or, or something to that effect, those, you know, that became a factor that that parent couldn't have access to their child. Uh, and, and so naturally those have changed, but all of these should be taken in the backdrop, the legal aspect, um, um, as we go forward about that. Uh, Dr. Tarver, next question. So I wanna um, kind of follow up to what you two said about, like, hey, we, we know we need to have a conversation. We need to be um, as we're, as we're having this conversation, preparing for this conversation, thoughtful. I like Dr. Reese that you pointed out, both parents need to have this conversation. It doesn't need to be a, a singular parent having this conversation so we can make sure that information is consistent. But we know that something happens. Something happens between this aspirational, uh, like, hey, we want to make sure that we have a healthy communication with our, our children about that we're going to be separating, that we're going to be divorcing, something occurs. And, you know, just from you two and your experiences, even in your practice or, or, or as you've seen with um, some of the, the people when you've gone to court, Dr. Reese, what happens? What changes that dynamic? What comes at play that we move from the best interest of this child to all this venom? What are some of the, what are some of the triggers for that change? And I'll start with you this time, Dr. Reese. Sure. Um, so there's a, a plethora of kind of things that can activate that. Um, if, if we understand that uh, one or perhaps sometimes both parents have been bad actors in, in the relationship um, and that acting out continues 
there was an affair, there were affairs, there was uh, uh, violence, uh, there continues to be violence, there was fiscal mismanagement, there was over-involvement of extended family and family affairs, there were disagreements on parenting practices um, and discipline practices, um, there were cultural differences in terms of religiosity um, and, and involvement in, 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 in faith organizations, etc. So there's a, there's a laundry list of things um, and then sometimes it's as simple as one person acts like a butt towards the other person. Um, like that's, that's, that's a real thing. Somebody is treating another person poorly um, and, 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 and the child becomes the pawn, right? This is, this is, this, this is my leverage. This, this, this is, this is the, the stick that I can beat you with because I know you care about this, right? So, so since I can't, you, you don't, you know, you don't care about me, how I feel. Um, I can act out and often, you know, it, it, is, it is difficult because we, we want to call on um, the best versions of ourselves at all times. But it is often at these times that folks act the ugliest. In my experience, sometimes folks are not even conscious not, 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 even, not even aware of some of the things that they're doing, some of the ways in which they're engaging in the manipulation of the children, not, not, not aware of how they may be setting the other parent up to look bad um, or to fame the other parent, et cetera. And it is that injury that is driving that behavior or those injuries, you know, and sometimes those, those injuries have occurred over time. And, and, and so, I believe very strongly that uh, we have to create safe spaces for us to begin to unpack how we got here. Sometimes that's, you know, talking to somebody like me or Dr. Granger, Dr. Tarver. Sometimes that's you know, your involvement in, in, your, in, your, in your faith organization. Sometimes that is the support of family and friends, but you know, we, we didn't get here by ourselves. We're not gonna get out of it by ourselves and we need safe places to un unpack. The other thing that we need is we need folks who are gonna hold us accountable. Who's your village? Who, who are the people in your life who can say, yo dude, that's foul. Um, and, and you know, this is not about her, this is about your son get some act right because you're better than that and I expect better than you because you're my people. We're not doing that. Who are the people who can support you? I know you're hurting. I know you're really struggling right now. Um, here's a safe place for you to struggle, right? We're going to struggle. We're going to let the tears out. We're going to let the anger out. Whatever it is, and we'll come up with a game plan about how you show up as your best self and the best parent you can be. And, and so we have to be thinking about those selves, be, thinking about the, those pieces because the divorce, the separation doesn't just affect the, the, the parents or the kids, it's affecting the people who care about those. And so there's really an opportunity for those individuals oftentimes to kind of step up and say, hey, I see you and you're not acting like yourself. So you, how do we get there? I think the course correction is when other folks can help us say, hey, that's not you. You're better than that. Let's be better. I appreciate just that. Um, attorney winners will tell you that anytime my, my, our guests plug therapy, I'm super excited. But I also heard you plug other aspects of a support system that a person can utilize because I hear you saying that underneath all of this is pain. So when we end up acting out, there is some hurt there, some hurt maybe we haven't, we don't even know it's there, uh, that we haven't managed, we haven't dealt with. But we have people in our, in our village who can help us see what we can't see, who can call us and say, hey, you are, you are so much better than that. And this is, these are the people that we probably invited into our space either when we got married or to be godparents or um, to help us raise our children so we can call on them to be able to support us. Uh, Dr. Grange, what about you? What do you think are some of the, the ways we end up getting off course in, in the ideals that we have when we move forward with how we're going to talk to our children? I think a lot of what Dr. Reese said was on point. And I think that what I try to acknowledge a lot with families and with parents is fear. Um, a lot of times when we see anger, it's really driven by the fear of being hurt again or having more pain. And so I think that there's this effort to protect themselves, defend themselves, and all of that focus tends to be on self. So there's an increased focus on self and as a result, a decreased focus on the child, right? And so if we can recognize that, 
give it light, then that can help the person hopefully self-regulate and start to understand that I did it. Like I just did it again. I just made this about me. When really it's the weekend, my child's supposed to be with the other parent. There's really no reason to not let that happen. Um, I think that that's really important, but that fear is not really a word um, that we easily digest in our communities. And I think that the more we attend to it, the less power it can have. And if we can see that fear can show up like anger, right? Because we want to protect ourselves. That's, that's valuable to realize. And so in doing that, we can also do that with our children, right? A child shows up angry and we can acknowledge that anger. I believe in acknowledging all the emotions, even the ones that are, com that are complex and sometimes get us into trouble. But really acknowledge there's some stuff behind that anger, which is just like a shield. Um, so I think that's really important to recognize. And a lot of times our family, our village, our nest, whichever term we want to use can help us with that. But I do think that this idea of fear is something that as a community we kind of struggle with. And as a result of not acknowledging it, it might sometimes do ourselves a disservice. But the more we can acknowledge it, support our children, say, this is scary. You know, the more we can do that, the better off we actually are. Um, and oftentimes it takes an objective person to help with that. But to the points that have been made, that objective person doesn't have to be a therapist. We know that especially in contemporary times, there's an increased need for support for a variety of reasons. And therapists just might not always be available depending on the type of communities that families are living in. So it does make sense to maximize other resources as a complement to therapists or providers that may be available, but especially if they're not. Absolutely. I think that it's important um, that we have that, that support system of other people because, yeah, therapy may not be accessible uh, for a variety of reasons. I may need to go to my church. I may, I've seen a lot of these conversations happen in barbershops and beauty shops. Like I've seen, um, you know, people come together and support each other and like, hey, I went through a similar experience. This is how we work through it. We're in a much better place now. And so I, I don't think that people need to limit themselves to any one type of support system. But the, the three things that tend to come up the most, and you, you two tell me um, your experience with this, seems to be the issues around the discipline, the financial support and the visitation. Those are the main three issues that I often see people having disputes about. Those are the barbershop conversations. Those are the beauty salon conversations. Those are the conversations that, that people are asking for prayer about. Um, so I'm gonna start with you, Dr. Grange, this time about what are some of the dynamics you see with those three things and what are some ways we can navigate those more efficiently so that we don't end up having such conflict around them. Well, I think that there are a couple of different types of situations. There's the situation where you have a parenting plan. So conceptually, you have a guide. It doesn't always play out, but let's start with what we have. There's this guide that you can refer to. Because the reality is that as emotions are flying, floating around and as people are trying to look out for their own interests and their child's interests, things get distorted sometimes. So it is helpful to have a guide that maybe you didn't necessarily go through the courts for, but oftentimes that might be the case to have something objective, especially usually get to the court when you have not been able to come up with something on your own as a family, especially when it comes to finances and visitation, right? That comes up a lot. So if you have that guide, then you can refer to that guide. What I've seen is that a lot of times families need to deviate from that guide for one reason or another, or they may be in a healthy place in their relationship so things are feeling good so they deviate. But then if it goes left and it doesn't feel so good anymore, then the, the um, guide can sometimes be used as a tool for manipulation and can feel unfair. So I think you start there and then you recognize that this probably is not going to be the end all for how we negotiate this relationship or this system for our family. But you can start there if you have one, right? I will probably always come back to the fact that this is a story that we're creating and kind of being mindful of what we want that story to be. Because what I talk to my co-parent about is one thing, 
What I talk to my child about is another thing. So if we can have some ground rules about when we talk to each other, how we talk to each other in front of the child, that is always something that's gonna be helpful. The reality is the situation might not always be perceived as fair, but one parent versus another. And parents might be served to kind of understand that and accept that from the beginning. There's different types of parenting I think that can happen once you have divorce. A lot of times people talk about co-parenting, but there's also parallel parenting that is important to kind of recognize. Co-parenting usually meaning, if you're going with looking at different types of parenting, we are collaborating in this process. But with parallel parenting, it might be a situation where you do what you do in your house, I do what I do in my house. So we accept that I don't have control over what you're doing in your house. But we might be working towards the same outcome. That is a possible outcome for some families depending on how well they're able to coordinate. Um, so when it comes to issues around discipline, we might not agree. But can we respect that as long as our child is safe, you're going to handle it your way and I'm going to handle it mine, especially if we're doing a parallel parenting model. If there's a financial issue, if it's gone through the courts, then obviously you can revisit that. But again, with a lot of our families, there's this informal process that can sometimes happen. And so in that case, we want to do as much as we can to hold a parent accountable, but also give a parent grace. I think the financial piece is one of the harder issues because we live in a world where it costs money to raise children. And so we want to acknowledge that, but also acknowledge that we probably cannot force outside of the legal system, which is obviously um, not my area, but we cannot force another parent outside the legal system to do anything. So we can work within what is our kind of span of influence, respect the other parent for what they are able to offer and amplify their assets as much as possible and acknowledge that they may fall short sometimes. And to the degree that we think is appropriate, we can go through the court system to rebalance that situation. Again, especially when it comes to finances. One of the things that I also tell parents is that when it comes to co-parenting in terms of custody, that is something that we can maximize. It's good to allow your child to spend time with the other parent. You can regroup, you can rebalance, you can um, make some plans for what's coming up. So that's a tool that we wanna kind of maximize and utilize and understand that they're gonna get some things from that parent that they just might not be able to get from you. And acknowledging that, that we are human and we have certain resources that are different across both parents is something that can help us maybe give that other parent more grace at times and allow us to maximize, like I said, the resource that the other parent may be and the resources that they may bring to the table that might not always be purely financial. Thank you, Dr. Greens. I appreciate that. Like we can start with a plan that may need to evolve, it may need to change, and we can adjust that. And, and, and let us talk about that and have conversations about that together. But we may not be in the same place with it. So at some points we may just have to say, hey, as long as we're being safe, as long as we're being careful, as long as we're being healthy, there might be different things that happen um, in each of our environments. Uh, I will let attorney Winters comment on the legal piece after Dr. Reese uh, responds. Dr. Reese. So I, I agree with, with everything that Dr. Grange said. Um, I want to revisit something that I led off with, and that is the charge to act in the best interest of the child. Um, and so those three issues you outlined, Dr. Tarver, do in fact come up. Um, how we manage them should be driven by that principle. Am I acting in the best interest of the child? The other piece that I would um, add to that is, in how we handle all this, we are teaching our child how to handle conflict, how to handle upset, how to handle hurt, how to treat people who you once cared about or who you may still care about. They're watching everything we do and they're taking it all in. And so when you see this um, behaviors, if, if you're, you're, you're not acting your best self, if you see these behaviors um, in adolescence or later in life, you know, how often do we as psychologists say, yeah, that you learned that in childhood. You learned that in adolescence. You got that from your daddy. You got that from your mama. And so we need to be mindful of what it is that we are teaching our kids uh, and always seek to teach them the best. I, I think, you know, 
I'm always saying to folks that as often as you can stay out of court, you need to stay out of court for this primary reason. Court in of itself is an adversarial process, right? I, I am trying to make my case and present it as, as stronger than, than your case. Um, and, and, and so I tell families that if you have to end up in court around some of these issues, agree on all the stuff that you can agree on before you go to court. And so there might be two or three things that, that require the court's attention because the court is a dispassionate participant in your process. Once they hand down that consent decree or their parenting plan or whatever it is, they're on to the next case. You know, y'all stuck with each other forever, 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 forever. And, 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 and charged with raising your kids. And, and, and so whether a court, I, I believe the courts very often are trying to do what they believe to be in the best interest um, of, of, of kids, but, but it ain't your child. Ain't, ain't nobody gonna love my, my babies like me. And, 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 and so I always feel like I'm in the best position to, to act in their interest, to advocate for their well-being, um, et cetera. So I don't want some judge doing that, doing that piece. Um, I think with respect to issues of discipline, let me just deal with finances off rip. Uh, that's between the adults. Kid ain't got nothing. It shouldn't be your mama didn't pay or your daddy didn't pay. Ain't got nothing to do with them, right? And so again, I think Dr. Grange talked about uh, the ground rules. The ground rules, one of them should be, we ain't talking about grown folk business in front of the kids or with the kids. Let's do everything we can do to keep the kids out of the adult stuff, we should be doing to keep the kids out of the adult stuff. Um, and the very often I, I hear those, well, I didn't see my daddy because he didn't, he didn't pay child support or uh, uh, my mommy spent the child support on, uh, she wouldn't get her, got her nails done or some other nonsense. I'm like, those are not conversations that we should be having um, with the kids. And so, you know, the first piece is, hey, let's, let's, let's deal with the adult stuff among the adults. And if we can't figure it out, that's what the court is for. Um, but again, my, my, my guidance is always to encourage folks to keep them um, out of the court. You know, the parallel parenting piece, that's a real thing. And, and, and I see it often. I think that kids benefit when they see their parents actively engaged with each other, parenting together. Uh, and, and, and so that is, is the space that, that I encourage. And it's a harder lift, it's a bigger lift because it means I have to interact with somebody who I might not be able to stand or who hurt my feelings or who did some other stuff to me. Uh, but if we're driven by that principle of being in the best interest, so then when we get to things like uh, discipline, you know, who are you trying to raise? What, what, what do you want for your son 10 years from now? What do you want for your daughter 10 years from now? Um, you actually probably agree on that to, to a large extent. How can we support one another around those pieces? And when our kids know that we're working together, even in the face of the conflict, it makes a statement to them that I am more important than whatever their beef is. And I, can't, I can only show my butt so much to moms because she will call that dude, right? Um, and, and, and he'll have a few words for me. And, and that, that, that helps to, to, to manage in, in the parenting space. And then around the visitation, I have to tell you, I really don't like the word visitation. Any parent who is visiting their kids is not raising their kids. Um, I, I struggle, I struggle, I struggle, I struggle, I struggle with that. Although I recognize that that's a term that, that is used in consent decrees and, and parenting plans, et cetera. Um, and, 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 and so the partnering around parenting, I think is, is an, an important piece. Um, and again, because that child loves both his or her parents, that don't, don't play with that time, right? Because somebody's going to make a decision, it's going to be adjudicated that, that a child may spend more or less time with one parent. Hey, so if, if I got 48 hours or 72 hours, I want my 72 hours. You know, but then my, my charge to me is not to do anything that, that, that will give cause for this other person um, to play with my time. And so again, it's a lot. Um, it requires to, 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 to rise above um, and be um, the best versions of ourselves. Um, so yeah, it's a lot there. No, I, I appreciate that, uh, Doc. There's a, uh, there's a there's another question I'd like to follow kind of up on that, uh, Dr. Tarver, before we go uh, on our first break here. It's uh, really important uh, uh, that we, we kind of see this. Now, both of you guys alluded to court 
the compulsory nature of, of what a court does is once we involve the court, there's a thing called um, um, contempt of court. Uh, and so if you don't do what the court says, then somebody's going to jail. Like that's how this works. You're gonna have to be compelled uh, through the compulsory nature. So not only uh, is Dr. Reese correct that it is a confrontational system, meaning I'm gonna make my point better than your point and detract from your point. This is how this works. This is why we go get all of this, these, <laughs> these education, uh, all of these student loans <laughs> in order to go and argue in someone's courtroom and, and these, uh, kind of compelling uh, um, persuasive arguments. Uh, and that has nothing to do with our witness. You know, I'm only concerned about the best interests of my client. If I'm not the lawyer for the child, because you get the, the, the daddy side, the mama side, or, or one parent side and the other parent side, and then you get uh, somebody maybe appointed as the curator for the child who is worried about the child's stated best interest, and so that's that third lawyer that's in the room. And we're all arguing what we think is best. But you're right. We're all persuasive arguing and denying the other person's uh, point just so we can win. Uh, and that's what a lot of people don't understand is, generally speaking, if I'm representing the mother or the father, I don't care about the other person's side. I care about my client paying me my fees so I can get my client's best interest, stated interest done. Uh, the overarching thing is still the best interest and that's the court to call balls and strikes on that. So that's kind of what lawyers uh, perspectives are on that. Uh, another point is these guidelines that we lay out, that le the legislature lay out, they can be deviated from if it's in the best interest because it's not in the best interest of the child for one parent to be a pauper in jail at a chicken, there, there's such thing in Mississippi like you go to uh, chicken prison, meaning you go to prison in the day, uh, at night, and in the daytime you work at like a chicken plant to pay off your child support. Now, if, if that don't scare you, uh, the positive side is that we are getting courts that are being very creative with child support, back pay and arrearages. If that person's trying to be a parent, they're just out of, you know, they're in a bad, they're underemployed. Uh, and, and this is not time to use the powers, the police powers of the state to come down on that parent because that's not in the best interest in any way of the child, if, if that's what the focus is. Um, and so one of the things that's happening in the news is international, uh, we have an international child support uh, custody visitation, as you said, uh, cases happening. It's with a supermodel and a world-class singer you know, Seal and Heidi Klum, uh, you know, they have, uh, they have children from their marriage and of course they're divorced, but they're, um, Heidi Klum, according to all the, the three articles that I read, she's trying to go to Germany so she can shoot uh, uh, her upcoming show, this, uh, not next top model, but some sort of fashion uh, reality show that she's got. And Seal, uh, I don't know if it's out of fear, like Dr. Grange said, uh, whether it's a fear response that he's having. Uh, he's really concerned about the motives of, of Heidi Klum, according to the article that I read on his, his perspective. He's concerned that she may go there and try to get full custody while she's in Germany. Now, she is Swedish, um, and so uh, uh, she's Swedish, and so uh, Sweden and Germany is relatively close, and, and there's a, an enforcement uh, relationship. Uh, America doesn't have a treaty with, with, with Germany as it relates to child support, but many states have these reciprocal uh, kind of relationships. Some that do not, Mississippi, South Carolina, uh, D.C., and uh, Maine, they don't have that reciprocal, but most other states have a reciprocal relationship about enforcement. But the issue becomes custody. He's concerned, according to the reports that I read, is that he's concerned when she gets to Germany, that she may try to have, get full custody of his kids. And then he is, you know, is put in that position kind of on the back burner of being that, that visiting father, that see them once or twice a month. Uh, you know, and all of that is, is a real concern. He's got a custody plan in place. Uh, but, but I think we have to balance that. How do we balance that? To, to quick question to you two before we go on break, 
how do we balance that when um, the mother has to go earn a living? This is her job. This is how she eats. This is how she keep, you know, provides for the kids. And then how do we balance that with the father's absolute right to family? That's, a, that's an unconscionable natural right that everybody, there's nothing to argue about. Everybody's got a right to family. That's how we got gay marriages is legal because it's a right to family. And that right to family is sacrosanct. And we, it couldn't, it can't be ripped apart. Uh, and so how do we balance that to both of you? I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Grant. I think it's an important question and a difficult question. And the more contentious the, the dynamic between the parents, the more difficult it is to trust, right? I'm arguing with you because I don't trust you. So it brings up that notion of because I'm so amplified in my fear, it's hard for me to think clearly about what is in the best interest of my child, right? And so I don't know the age of their children or anything in terms of that, but it really suggests that to the degree that resources allow for it, even if she were to get custody, what are mechanisms that are available? And there are mechanisms where he can stay engaged. I think that we are being reminded in contemporary times that technology is a real thing. And so who knows what the courts will actually decide, but if there's within whatever that decision, the opportunity for him to stay engaged, even if it's not gonna be through physical contact, through other forms of contact, you might as well maximize that because things may not work 100% in the favor of either one of those parents. But as Dr. Reese had said, if we are able, and who knows if that's always possible, but if we are able to keep a focus on the children and their optimal well-being, then even if this legal outcome isn't, isn't as favorable, I think it's powerful when the other parent can digest that, accept that as they need to and say, well, with that being said, I want to make sure we can utilize these other resources so that I can stay connected. So I might, might or may not be able to fly to wherever you are, but I want to make sure we have this particular mechanism in place, like an app, so that I can see and engage with my children as much as possible, given that I cannot be there with them. No, I thank you very much for that. Dr. Reese, how do, how do you weigh those two uh, against one another? The, the, the right of the parent to go and work and provide for her children. I mean, she's got to be able to do that. And then, you know, the, the other parents write to his kids. I mean, like you said, visitation is, again, an ugly word. Who visits their children? Like, they're parenting their children. So, you know, this, this is um, a challenge. I'm going to step out of my lane just a little bit. So when, when parents are, are divorced, or I think even when they're married, and you go to apply for a passport, you have to have an affidavit that says, I, I give permission, or I, I, the parent shows up to actually sign um, the paperwork. And I think um, in an instance like this, um, there should be some deference to the the, the parent who remains in this country. Um, and, and so you do have to work. You have a right to work. I have a right to family. Uh, so for the one month, two months, three months that you're there shooting your, your production, the kids will be with me. Um, and we can revert back to whatever our consent decree, consent decree required when you return to the States. Um, because I think those kinds of things happen. Um, I'm, I'm a little familiar with this kind of case, and, and I've seen in similar cases uh, where a, a parent holds dual citizenship, where that is something that's argued during the divorce or uh, the development of, of, of the consent decree with respect to the custody of the kids that requires that um, the parent can only take the kids out of the country with the other parent's permission. Um, and in absence of that, the, 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 uh, the, the parent would continue to, to stay in the U.S., um, gets custody of the kids while the other parent is gone. Um, the, you know, there's this thing called parental alienation. And that one of the things that when you don't act in the best interest of your kids, it shows up. When you try to vilify the other parent as he's not this, she's not that. Um, it, it shows up in our kids' well-being, how they do in school, their, their emotional and social adjustment, these other kind of things. 
and, and, and so those who would seek to separate or to sever those relationships unnaturally between uh, a child and his or her parents, this stuff shows up and it has lifelong consequences. Our, our, our you know, um, God asks us, have you been a good steward of, of the sheep that I, I put in your care? You know, and, and, and for me, that, that matters when my kid is not doing well. So tough question, uh, but uh, uh, it's a manageable, manageable situation, again, if we're acting in the interest of the kid. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, uh, would agree with both of you that it is a challenging question. <laughs> it's tough. But these things continue to present themselves. Now, that, that's, an, um, that's an outlier that these two multimillionaires are arguing about who's going to get the kids. And, oh, I got a recommendation. You know, I think uh, uh, Heidi's lawyer says, oh, you just get more time with the kids. It was my Christmas, but you can have them uh, for this Christmas. Uh, and I think the court's going to continue to maintain what's called exclusive jurisdiction over those kids. And it, it's up to the court to say it. And I think that's a simple solution is, hey, no, the kids can stay here in America. You can go over there, whatever, you know, nannies and all of that. You guys can afford that. So they're lucky. But if we, if we you know, I want our listeners and viewers to think about this. When it comes down to those resources, all those resources aren't available. All of those resources aren't available. Now you're talking about, a, a, a lady who's, you know, a woman who's about to deploy to Germany to work there in the military. You know, what do we do then? You know, what do we do if, if he just got this job that the plant now wants to send him to India for a year? Great opportunity to really provide some resources to the kid. What do we do there? And I think having the luxury of having you two here with Dr. Tarver and I on NR on the Fence podcast to discuss these, uh, the dodging these uh, dangers uh, of parenting dynamics, dodging the dangerous parenting dynamics and co-parenting dynamics. I think it's so great to have you guys here to help us unpack all of this. Uh, we're going to take a small break and we'll be right back. Um, so as our listeners, uh, Dr. Tarver and I have the luxury of uh, unpacking dodging dangerous parenting dynamics with Dr. Grange and Dr. Reese. Uh, and we'll be back right after this message. Thank you very much. <laughs> 